uh, be here and be an encouragement to those folks. And uh, if you've never seen a New Testament baptism or you have friends or relatives, this would be a great opportunity to just uh, invite them and hear how God worked in these different people's lives and uh, the, has brought them to this point in their life. Okay, so uh, there were these two little boys went to Sunday school one Sunday, and uh, while they were in Sunday school, their Sunday school teacher taught them a very strong lesson on Satan. And uh, so they listened, they paid attention, and so forth. And, and after they left the class, they were walking down the hallway in church, and um, the one kid says to the other kid, he says, uh, so, so what do you think about all this devil stuff? And uh, the other kid looked at him, thought for a moment, and then he said, uh, well, he says, you know how it turned out with Santa Claus? It's probably just your dad. <laughs> well, it's Father's Day, and uh, we've all have, we all have had or have dads, and our dads have influenced us in a lot of different ways. Now, maybe your dad was like the devil. Or maybe your dad was more like our God, our Heavenly Father. But either way, your dad has left an imprint on who you are. And uh, whether they were absent or present, whether they were rejecting or accepting, whether they were silent or speaking, whether they were abusive or loving, dads leave a mark on their kids. And in the Bible, God actually calls the church his family, the household of faith. And more than any other name that God uses to describe himself, he chooses the word father or Abba, which we would translate dad or even daddy, Abba, father. Our father, which art in heaven. Everybody understands and, and everybody's familiar. And when you become a Christian, you stop being a stranger to God and you literally become a son or a daughter of the living God. There's a huge difference in being a stranger or being a part of the family of God. And so as the church or the family of God was getting started after Jesus went back to heaven, God had 12 what he called apostles, 12 spokespersons for God who gave birth to the church. And uh, we call it from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's like the beginning of the church, this transition time between when Jesus was here and when the family of God actually got started. And one of those apostles was whom we call the Apostle Paul. His name was Paul. And in the book of Acts, we actually have eight different messages that Paul delivered to the early church. But the message that we come upon today in Acts chapter 20 is the only one of the eight different messages that Paul gave, uh, the only one that's given exclusively for leaders. The only one that's given exclusively to believers. It's where Paul calls the leaders of the Ephesian church to come to him so that he can have his final words with them before he leaves, never to see them again. So I want to suggest to you that Paul's words are very instructive for us and very helpful for us uh, today on Father's Day, uh, because Paul talks to leaders about how to have an influence on the people that God puts in your charge. And I want to suggest in this passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 20 that uh, parenting or leading or shepherding or influencing, however you want to call it, is about three main things. Three main things. And you can trace these themes all through the Scriptures, but I think they're all right here in this 
uh, passage of scripture that's before us this morning, Acts chapter 20. And, um, you know, I just want to say leadership's about influence. It's really not about position. I'll tell you, in any group of people, whoever has the most influence is the leader. It really doesn't matter who's the, who has the, you know, the pecking order and all of that. Leadership's really about influence. And uh, I want to suggest to you that influence uh, really is about three things that Paul talks about here. Number one, it's about being an example. Number two, it's about acceptance. And number three, it's about accountability. Example, acceptance, and accountability in Acts chapter 20. So we read here in Acts chapter 20 in verse 17 that Paul sailed from Miletus, and uh, he sailed to Miletus, and there he sent for the Ephesian elders of the church to come to him, the church that he had started. And in verse 18, here's what Paul says to them when they arrived. The first thing Paul says, he says, um, when they arrived, Paul said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Example. Paul says to these leaders, listen, you know how I lived when I was with you. Now, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, which was a long time for the Apostle Paul. And uh, I want to suggest to you that, you know, uh, Paul is saying here that how I live matches how I talk. How I lived matched how I talk. We call it integrity. Because here's the deal. Most of what we learn, we learn by observing. You know, studies have been done on this. A very small percentage we actually learn by audible, but most of what we learn, we learn by observing. And so, Paul, the first thing Paul says to these leaders is, you know how I lived when I was with you. And I want to suggest to you today, friends, that we have a crisis in America. We have a crisis in every arena of our culture. Uh, uh, with politics, with law enforcement, with sports figures and coaches in the banking industry, doctors, lawyers, daycare centers, churches, there are scandals. And the scandals are always about one thing, duplicity, lack of integrity, acting like something on the surface and being something different on the inside that eventually wiggles its way out and creates a scandal. And it's in every area of our culture. Every time you watch the news or pick up a paper, turn on the uh, computer to the news things and so forth, it's always about integrity. It's always about, and I could cite, you know, things that are in the news now that you're probably very familiar with. But I love this little poem, okay? A careful man I want to be. A little person follows me. I do not dare to go astray for fear he'll go the self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes. Whate'er he sees me do, he tries. Like me, she says she's going to be, that little girl who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer suns and winter snow, I'm building for the years to be that little person who follows me. Example. It's about example. It's about not saying, do as I say, not as I do. It's about being an example. And in the Bible, you can find this theme all the way through. Integrity will not allow our lips to violate our hearts. Authenticity. It's when I am who I am on the outside, the same as who I am on the inside. Now, how do you get integrity? How do you get this? Look, the verse, next ni verse 19, Paul says the next verse. He says, the first thing he says is, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia? I served the Lord. 
That's how you get integrity. I realize that my life is more than about me. My whole life is about serving my Father in heaven. How do you come by integrity? Do you try harder to get it? No, you realize you surrender, as we sang this morning, to the Lordship of Christ, to the fatherhood of God. I realize that my life is not my own. I've been created by somebody else. I've been redeemed by somebody else. Serving the Lord was the motive behind Paul's integrity. He realized my life is about something much more than just this life. And by serving God, he was able to have God's help and God's strength that enabled him to be on the outside what he was on the inside. Life is about something more than me. And I suggest to you that the, the motive behind Paul's integrity was spiritual. That he lived from the center. He lived from his spirit, from the inside out. That rivers of living water came down from heaven, filled up his heart, and spilled over out of his life. And that's where his integrity came from. Because who he was on the inside is what came out. The core from which he lived was a God-first life. And I want to suggest that nothing less than a relationship with the living God will enable us to live a life of integrity and example. Not perfection, but integrity and progress. Just like Jesus. And notice what Paul says here. He says, I serve the Lord with humility and tears. I serve the Lord with humility. I can tell you, Paul never got over the fact that God gave grace to him. Paul never got over the fact that he does not deserve the life that God entrusted to him. He served with humility. He just never got over that to the clear end of his life. Uh, and he served from his heart with tears. You know, he was serious about this. He surrendered his life. If, if I were to ask you the question, listen, just think for a minute of somebody that's, that's very influential in your life, somebody you really admire. Think of somebody. Get somebody in mind. Somebody that you say, you know, I really admire this person. And then if I were to ask you the question, okay, what is it about that person that you admire? I guarantee you about 95% of us would talk about some kind of attitude that we admired in that person. A few of us might say, oh, Tiger Woods, because he can really play golf and admire his skills. Somebody might name somebody because of their looks, but very few people would be that shallow. Most people would say, you know, what I really admired in this person was some kind of attitude that was at the core of their being that spilled out and was consistent and worked its way through. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, you know, said this, and I believe he's so right. He says, 10% of uh, your life is what happens to you. 90% of your life is how you respond to it. 10% of your life is the things that happen to you. You can't control those things. Things happen. Right? 90% is the attitudes, the core of our being, how it is that we respond. Look what happened to Jesus, and look how he responded. And usually the people that we admire that are most influential in our lives. And you know, we are in charge of our own attitude. You choose your own attitude. Paul says, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears. I threw myself into this, and it created this kind of integrity where Paul could say, you know, follow me. Uh, and I believe that when the Spirit of God gets inside of us, the Spirit of our Heavenly Father begins to influence us, just like the Spirit of our earthly Father gets into us and influences us in a lot of different ways. When we become children of the Heavenly Father, His Spirit begins to change our attitudes and so forth to the point where, as somebody put it, you know, what lies behind you 
And what lies before you are tiny matters compared to what lies within you. Right? What lies behind you and what lies before you are tiny, tiny matters compared to what lies within you. Because that's where God takes up residence. In our spirits, in our hearts. And Paul says, you know, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears. You know, the world we live in is not a neutral place. There is an enemy. There is a Satan. There is a devil. And uh, the stream of humanity is constantly moving away from God. The culture resists the things of God. But the servant of God, the son or daughter of the living God, honors God and stands against the stream and against the tide and stands tall for the truth of God. How do we do that? Well, the next verse, Paul says, you know, I've been this example, and here's how I did it. I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant leader. And then in verse 20, here's, here's how do you do that. He says, well, you know that I have not hesitated to preach or to speak anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you got to stand up for the truth. you got to speak up got to teach the truth. He says, I did it in public, and I did it from house to house, and the message was the same. Jews, Greeks, Italians, you know, Dutch people, Swedish people, the message is the same. There's a God in heaven who created us, and we need to be reconciled to him. And Paul says, wherever I went, that's, I, 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 the message was the same. And, and, and you know, this is a great, uh, this is a great thing to ponder, that part of being an example it's being able to speak what we believe in our hearts. Being able to share and being willing to share the truth of God with the world in which God has placed us. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing when he says, I'm an example. Part of his example was that he was always willing to share the truth. He didn't hesitate. I took hits for it, Paul says. I'm hated for it. I'm brokenhearted and in tears. People are trying to kill me. But I don't hesitate to say what's true. There is a God. And we're distanced from him. And he's made a way for us to be reconciled. In verse 27, he, he puts it like this. And uh, the next part of this, he says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. The whole will of God. I don't just pick and choose parts of the message. I don't just pick and choose those things that I'm comfortable with. Paul says, but the whole truth of God. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the whole truth. And wherever Paul went, that's what he did. He shared, he spoke up, he stood up for God. And the message was the same, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Two things that Paul did not do that I so admire about the Apostle Paul, he never compromised on the scriptures, and he never put human reason beyond the scriptures and said things that were more than what the scripture said. He had such a respect for God and God's word that he was willing to just take the scriptures and to be true to them. Uh, this summer, I'm planning to read a biography uh, of a, a rather famous uh, English preacher from years ago, and uh, it came in the mail this week, and so I just wanted to peek into it and see a little bit, you know, and kind of whet my appetite, get excited about it, but in the front part, there was a tribute to this preacher by his son, and here's what the kid said. He said, I cannot say that as a youngster, I was ever an avid bookworm. What I do vividly recall was that my first real knowledge of the Bible came first through reading the Epistle Leonard. That's right, the Epistle Leonard. You won't find it in your Bible. 
My father became that living epistle that I read every day of my life. His life was one of consistency, not contradiction. He lived daily in light of eternity. He knew he was a servant of God. You see, it was this first epistle, it was this epistle that first stirred my interest in knowing more about God and his word. My father's life, prayers, and tears, and preaching were never wasted on this very grateful son. I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> you know, what a tribute. So, I want to say parenting, leading, discipling is first and foremost about example. Okay, second, it's about acceptance. It's about acceptance. It's about accepting the people that God has put under your influence. If we uh, go forward here in verse 22, Paul says this. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life nothing to me if only I can finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul's whole life was about one message, the good news of God's acceptance, of grace, of undeserved favor. That's the grace of God. And Paul never got over this. Paul's whole life was given to this one message, and uh, this was more important. He says in verse 24, you know, I consider my life nothing compared to getting this message across, that there's a God who will deal with the world's people by his grace by his undeserved favor. We read it this morning. God so loves the people of this world that he gave up his only begotten son so that you could have acceptance, so that you and I could enjoy being accepted. Uh, the truth of the matter is, this is the main message of the Bible, that God loves you, whoever you are, but you have rejected him. You have walked away from him. You have dishonored him who made you and so forth. You've made yourself a stranger to God. It's been that way since the beginning of time. And Adam and Eve represented us before God. And when he fell, the, all of us were in him and we all, you know, fall in line after that. We're all come into the world. We're all born into this world with a nature that falls short of what God created us to be. And if you think about it, since God made everything, since God really is the creator and he made everything, including us, God has the right to control, not us. God has the right to judge, not us. God is the one who can judge what's right and wrong, not us, right? And God is the one who is worthy of all the praise. What do you have in your life that you didn't receive as a gift from God? Uh, the very life of breath that we have comes as a gift from God. The talents, the abilities, the, the personality, the orchestrating of putting us with the right families and all comes from God. What do we have that, that, that didn't come from God? And so when I want to be in control, instead of surrendering control to God, I sin against him. I fail to recognize his control, you know. When I want to be the judge of what's right and wrong, and I want to do my thing, what I think, that's a sin against God. He's the judge. Even Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge. I came into the world to save. Who do we think we are? We begin to compete with God. We distance ourselves from the God who has control. And, and every time we're trying to get people to praise us, instead of praising God, to worship us, every time we're trying to do stuff to get people to admire us, that we're competing with God. That's what distances us from him. 
And, you know, we all do this kind of stuff, right? Uh, even though everything that we are and everything that we have, you know, I begin to compete with God. It's like having a two-year-old. Everything they have, everything they are, all came from you, the parent, right? But the kid is like, no, 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 no. And God, like a good parent, says, you're all acting like two-year-olds, but I love you. I know you're trying to be in control. I know you're trying to be your own judge. I know you're trying to get praise for yourself. But listen, I'm your dad. I love you. And in spite of all of that, I'm going to give you my undeserved, your undeserved favor. My favor, undeserved by you, like a two-year-old. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to continue to love you. And God loves us anyway. And uh, he accepts us, even though we act like two-year-olds. And, and here's what God did. God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, as we read this morning. And listen, Jesus was God. So Jesus has the right and the power to control. But he sets it aside. He comes into the world. He's crucified. Jesus is God. He has the right to judge, but he sets it aside. And Jesus is God. He's worthy of all praise and worship, but he sets it aside. And instead, the Bible says he becomes our sin. He becomes our offenses. He becomes our disgusting side. And the Father takes out his wrath that we deserve on Jesus on the cross. Because we're all trying to be little judges, and we're all trying to control the world, and we're all, you know, trying to get praise for ourselves, and work really hard in life to get as much acclamation as we can. And God says, no, I'm going to take all that stuff, I'm going to put it on Jesus. He's going to set aside, he's the only one who's really worthy of having all that. He sets it aside, empties himself, and I'm going to put all your stuff on him, and he's going to die in your place. That's the main message of the Bible, is God's acceptance of us in Christ. That's the main message the Father in heaven wants to get across to the world's people. I don't care where you're at as two-year-olds. I've got an eternity planned for you. And if you'll just accept my gift of my son's blood for your sins, you'll be washed clean and you'll be accepted by the Father. That was Paul's message. That's the message that our kids need to hear. That's the message that our world needs to hear. And that was kind of what the main message that the Apostle Paul said, it's, it's more important to me than life itself to get this message across. He never got over the grace of God. Because the grace of God is what connects us, what reconciles us to God. It's what forgives us and what cleans us. It's what gives us hope. It's our only way into eternity with God. And that was the message. It was acceptance, as messed up as we are. You know, that's what the cross is all about. I, I, you know, 1 John 2, 2 says this. All the sins of all the world, of all the people, were on Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. It's an amazing statement to me. I don't know all of you here, but I do know this about you, that whoever you are, God has already paid for your guilt. I don't really care who you are or what you've done in the past. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. Here's the truth. God would love to be reconciled because he loves you like a kid. He loves you like you were a two-year-old, you know? And God has already paid with his grace and through Jesus Christ. And so on this Father's Day, God comes to us and he says, listen, you're my child. I love you. I love you. You're my child. You'll find acceptance with me if you'll just take the gift of new life. 
that I have for you, the gift of my son's blood, you'll be totally accepted with me. And uh, you will not just, you know, know about my love, but you'll experience my love, and it'll change your life. It'll change you into somebody who wants to honor their father. It'll change you into somebody who actually appreciates this heavenly father who totally gave himself in order that we might be reconciled to him. And you know, Paul says, I just want to finish the task. And I would say to you that every Christian is a steward of God's grace. Every one of us Christians has experienced God's acceptance. And you know, the task is to communicate it to the next person. That's why God said, look, there's two commandments. There's really two things life's about. Number one, love me with all your heart, mind, soul. And the next thing, love the next guy with my love. Love your neighbor. Come on. Be a good steward of the gift of acceptance. And start with acceptance. Lead with grace. Lead with the good news of the gospel. Finish the task, Paul said. And you know, this is so important because, uh, look at this, in verse 25, the next verse, Paul says this, you know, I know that, that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Here's the deal. You and I, were all temporary. We only have so much time. Paul says, oh, this is a race. I've got to finish the task. I've got to get to as many people as I can. My dad uh, called me up about a month ago or so, and he said, listen, uh, you know, I'm going to be 87 this year. I don't really know how much longer I really have on this earth. Do you think it could come down for my birthday? I'd like to get you and your sisters together, and a couple things I'd just like to say to you, you know. So my sisters and I are going down for Dad's birthday. And that's kind of like what Paul's saying here. He says, look, you know, I'm, I'm going. I don't think you guys are ever going to see me again. And, you know, for all of us fathers, leaders, disciplers, we only have so much time. We're, 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 we're temporary. And so Paul says this to these guys. And he says, I just, I just want to finish my task. And I think it's so important to get to the eternal stuff early. That's why I'm so thankful that Chris Hemrick is coming to join us on staff and to work with the younger kids to beef up whatever we can do to help kids understand there's a God in heaven who loves you and who has a plan for your life and who you can totally trust no matter who your earthly dad might be and how important that is to get early as possible into the lives of kids and I love this about Paul look what he says here next he says um, therefore verse 26 he says um, I, I declare to you today I'm innocent of the blood of all men wow I don't know if you ever saw this before, but uh, he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. So, you know, suppose, you know, you talk a lot about boundaries, right? And, and you got to know in your own life where you end and the rest of the world starts, right? Boundaries. And Paul is like, you know, I've been in Ephesus for three years. I've proclaimed the whole will of God. You know what? I'm innocent of your blood. Not everybody in Ephesus believed Paul. Not everybody became a Christian. But Paul didn't lose sleep over that at night, right? He was just like, you know what? I'm innocent. I did what God asked me to do. And I think this is another, uh, for parenting, such an important lesson to learn. And somebody told me years ago, I was really having a hard time, you know, at church here when I first came. And, you know, I would hear, you know, this person was from your congregation and you wouldn't believe what they did. And, I, you know, I work with them and they stole money from this and they did that. And I, I'm like, oh, my goodness, how can I be the pastor of a church where people are acting like this? And, you know, I couldn't sleep at night. And somebody said to me one time, Dave, you are responsible to those people, but not for them. And I have to change my whole life. That's a great line. I am responsible to, to you to be the best pastor I can be. 
but I'm not responsible for you. You want to spit in my face and go out and do whatever? It's on you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, I'm going to do, and as parents, I'm responsible to you. And as a husband, I'm going to be the best husband I can be. I'm going to be the best parent I can be. But you know what? I'm going to be responsible to you, but I'm not going to be responsible for you. You've got to be responsible for yourself before God. And some parents, you know, take responsibility for their children way too far. Talked to somebody this past week, actually. Kid is 40 years old, still living at home. Never moved out. And mom's loving it. She's got problems. He's got problems. I'm like, hey, I got the solution. Okay. Let's not go there. <laughs> Example, acceptance. Now, accountability. This is the third part of what it means to the parent or to disciple. And we're almost out of time. Listen, verse 28. Here's the first thing Paul says. He says, listen, keep watch over yourself. If example is the most important part, the first thing Paul's going to hold people accountable is keep an eye on yourself. Don't ever think you can get to the point where, you know, you've arrived. Don't ever think you can get to the point where you don't need to abide in Christ anymore like Jesus said in John chapter 15. You can't do anything without me. So Paul, the first thing he says is holds people accountable. Keep an eye on yourself. Keep watch over yourselves. Don't ever think that you're beyond temptation. Always seek the truth about yourself. Tell yourself the truth. And then he says, keep watch over those entrusted to you that the Holy Spirit has put in your charge. You ever think that the kids you have, the church you have, the friends you have, the small church you have is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit? Not just willy-nilly. God just didn't say, oh, well, I don't know what to do with this kid. I think I'll send him over there to those people. No, but God actually orchestrates who goes where. We saw that in uh, Acts chapter 17. And then, uh, you know, Jesus, or Paul says, you know, shepherd these people. And the word shepherd, I know we don't use it a whole lot, but in John chapter 10, you remember Jesus says, I'm the great shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus reminds us again, he says here in, in John chapter 10, listen, the reason that you have to pay attention to yourself is because we don't live in a neutral environment. I'm so glad in Vacation Bible School we're talking about the armor of God. Here's the things God has done for us that can protect us against the one who's trying to destroy us. But in John chapter 10, Jesus says, listen, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that you can have life and have it abundantly or fully, life to the full, fully alive. But there's an enemy that's all around us. And so the next thing Paul says here in verses 29 to 31 is warn people to be on guard about three things. First of all, people around us. He says there are people around us like wolves, false teachers he's talking about. And I don't have time to show you that and develop it, but there's all kinds of crazy thoughts about God that are always around us. The second warning, he says, watch out for people among you. People slip into the church. I had a conversation with a guy one time who was of a different faith, and he said, you know, we need a church building, and so we're going to bring, you know, a bunch of our people into this building, and we're just going to take over the church. And that's how they went about doing their thing. They'd find some church building that they wanted, and they would just get a bunch of people in there. They'd flood the thing out, take care of the votes, and they would own the building. People from within. Every once in a while, people will come, you know, and I'll try to visit with them or something, and, and I'll say, well, why are, you, why are you interested in this church? I'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm a salesman for such and such, and I, I just know these church people, they're easy marks on this stuff. I'm like, you know what? This isn't a place for you. I send them someplace else, some other church. <laughs> <laughs> but here, you know what the worst danger is? The real danger is carelessness in verse 31. The real danger is ourselves. 
In verse 31, he says, you know, remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Don't get careless. Paul says, you know, I just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. Perseverance. You know, don't, uh, don't get careless. Don't get distracted and so forth because the, the word remember, remember the cross, remember God, remember Jesus Christ, remember, remember, remember who you are, where you came from, where you're going, how your little life fits into eternity and so on. Remember, remember, remember because why? We're talking about in Sunday school this morning. You know, this is great on Sunday, but by Monday morning, you know, my desk is piled inside and I forget. And I don't live in the light of eternity. And so Paul says, look, remember, remember, the worst thing you can do is, you know, get careless. And then he says in verse 32, stay in the word. Keep being transformed into Christ-likeness. Be sanctified. Be built up by the word of God's grace. Don't settle for shallow. I commit you to God. He says, prayer, you know, I'm praying for you. Commit. And then verse 33, he says, look, don't covet. Don't covet. You've got God in your life. Don't covet Frank's Porsche. Don't covet. To covet means to give in to this desire to have what other people have. Don't covet other people's wives. Don't covet. This is the very last commandment of the Ten Commandments. Don't covet somebody else's situation. Don't covet somebody else's kids. Don't covet somebody else's salary, etc., etc., etc. Don't covet, Paul says. It'll kill you. Always looking at each other instead of God and realizing how rich we are. It's for your sakes, the Bible says, that Christ became poor so that we could be incredibly rich in the grace of God. And then in closing, he says this, verse 36, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and they prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Life is temporary. We only get so much time. It's about example. It's about acceptance. And it's about accountability. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we are so thankful for your word. We'd be so lost if you hadn't written the scriptures for us. We'd be so lost if you didn't give us the spirit, your spirit, to be able to understand what you're saying. And on this Father's Day, Father, we all want to be better dads. We want to be more like you. We're thankful that you set such a great example. You're the great God of the universe, and you're our ultimate example. And I pray, Father, that we too would just remember it's not so much about what we say on the surface of life, but about who we are in the interior, about who you're changing us to be more like yourself. And the acceptance that you give to us, acceptance first and then accountability. And may we be people like that who accept other people wherever they're at with grace, with undeserved favor. And then, Father, may we move to this level of accountability where we seek to encourage each other to develop and to grow and to be creative and to be increasingly more like you in order that you might be glorified in us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.